Hey, it's Jasmine. This is episode 8 of Gently Screaming. I'm having a moment. It's Wednesday evening. Last night, or Tuesday evening, I decided to record an episode of this podcast. It would have been a double upload because I had already uploaded that morning. I had had a really Ike's day, and I needed to commit to the daily practice of affirming myself every day with this second episode. It was a super short recording and it felt really personal and concise and I was proud to have just not put too much thought into it. So I uploaded it to Anchor, which is the platform I use to stream this stuff, and typically within 15 minutes it's on Spotify, which is the app I tend to prefer when I listen to podcasts I follow. For the past few days, I've only felt closure when I saw the episode uploaded to Spotify. Like, that would be the sign-off or mark of approval to get me to just get on with the rest of my day. That's not what happened last night, though. As I'm recording this episode, I realize it's been 22 hours since I pushed that last one to Anchor, and it still hasn't shown up on Spotify. I've taken a good look at a few Anchor FAQ pages, and they say 24 hours is around how long it takes for a recording to get to Spotify from Anchor. And what I'm doing now is stressing out. I'm observing myself and my body as they're both in a state of uncertainty both myself and my body. (laughs) I'm frustrated because I feel failed or betrayed by the technology I've been using for the past few days to validate that I exist, that I'm producing something, and that the, the personal work I'm doing is happening. And the fact that I feel blocked and trapped by technology in this moment reminds me of a passage I read, I read in this book like a year ago. I wrote this stuff down in a doc, and so what you're seeing or what you're hearing is me reading this off of a document because I could not trust myself to do another rant because I'm such a slow speaker. So some of this is scripted, most of it is, and I do stray from it, but what you just heard was me reading it incorrectly. Um, Anyways, the book that I'm talking about is called Mismatch, and the sub- The subtext for that is How Inclusion Shapes Design. It's written by Kat Holmes, who is an inclusive design expert and currently SVP of product experience at Salesforce. She's also founder of Mismatch.Design, which is an online community dedicated to advancing inclusive design. You can actually type that into um, your search bar and it'll show up as its own website. So what are mismatches? I'm going to pull a quote directly from Kat's first chapter. The objects and people around us influence our ability to participate, not just when playing on a playground, but in all aspects of society. Our cities, workplaces, technologies, even our interactions with each other are touch points for accessing the world around us. When we meet those access points, sometimes we can interact with them easily and sometimes we can't. When we can't interact with ease, many of us will try to adapt ourselves to make the interaction work. There are also times when no degree of creativity will make it possible to use a solution that simply doesn't fit a person's body or mind. Alright, and now I'm going to jump further down the page to another thing that she said. Mismatches are barriers to interacting with the world around us. They are a byproduct of how our world is designed. Mismatches are the building blocks of exclusion. They can feel like running into a locked door marked with a big sign that says, keep out. Alright, end quote. Um, I picked up this book by chance. I used to live in a part of San Francisco called The Sunset, 
we've got a lot of great bookstores out there and inclusion and design are super important to me. So the intersection of the two comes to mind, like it comes to mind all the time. So all of today I felt rejected by an app and it's not even the app I thought I'd feel rejected by during this time of my life. We can talk about dating apps another time because that's an experience that involves a whole nother type of rejection. But I wanna come back to a few things getting rejected by technology and mismatches in general. A little later in her book, Kat goes on to talk about how technology can be viewed by its users as neutral. Sometimes we want to believe that the tools we use don't carry the same tendencies to judge or turn people away. For folks like me in tech, we are extremely aware of the likelihood of bias and exclusion present in all the tech we touch. But I think there is a lot of truth behind looking at an iPad and thinking it would just receive you if you provided the right password. If I send a message to a chatbot that exists on the homepage of an e-commerce site, you can bet I'm going to expect a response. But if I send a message to someone on a dating app, I'm not sure if I'd have the same confidence. My point is, today I felt rejected. I didn't want to record anything today because of this small hiccup. I felt like I couldn't start my next episode without knowing my last episode uploaded. I felt like I couldn't see my own progress as I had wanted to see it. And because I couldn't access that moment of celebration and closure, I shut down. I'm also extremely mindful of the fact that the types of mismatches Kat Holmes outlines in her book are not what I experienced today. In no way was I directly impacted by this piece of technology because I was not its ideal or typical end user. I just felt a pang of rejection that reminded me of her work and the bigger picture. So this is me recording a new episode and just doing the thing because I thought about it. I'm not doing this for the instant gratification of having something uploaded. I am actively trying to walk away from having something to show as proof of the personal work I'm doing and my own worth. And if I revisit my goals, I'm pretty sure one of them was to let things be. Let's walk on back to mismatches though. Cat Holmes is identifying something that we should talk about. The people who consume content or use a product should look kind of like the people in the room creating those things. If people from marginalized groups and more specifically multiply marginalized groups are not in the same spaces as the people creating products meant to include them, if they're not given a voice when they are in the room, then no one wins. Because the most innovative products are the ones that were brought to life outside the confines of normal. And this to me relates to the the discussion on different models of disability. There's the medical model and the social model of disability. And sometimes this is applied to mental health. The medical model of disability asserts that the issue or concern exists within the person with disabilities. Professionals and community members who subscribe to this way of thinking do what they can to fix the person, to change the person so that they are closer to being cured or closer to normal. The social model of disability recognizes that the issue lies within the interactions, assumptions, and values that exist in the relationship between society and these individuals. People who look at disability through this lens tend to assess the individual and the spaces they occupy, and the people in their lives and the cultures they're a part of. As an example, we can look to the deaf community. 
I recognize how strange it is for me to be talking about the deaf community as I record a podcast episode. That's something I've been thinking about and I'm going to figure out how I approach this being a personal project and this also being something that one day could be more than that to people I don't know. Anyway, when a child is born deaf, some parents are given the opportunity to put in a cochlear implant. It requires surgery and there are internal and external parts of the device that they place in the child's body. Cochlear implants are different from hearing aids. Hearing aids don't require surgery and are used to amplify sound. Cochlear implants utilize a mic on the external part of the device to send signals to the internal parts of the device, which stimulate the cochlear nerve. Hearing aids help with volume, but cochlear implants help you understand language and speech a little bit better. I don't know too much about the differences between the two, the pros and cons to each, but parents who choose not to go for the cochlear implant are often judged. For parents who are deaf and who have found family and connections in the deaf community, who have found a home in an environment that exists outside that of hearing folks, I mean, you can imagine that it would be frustrating for someone to imply that your decision to welcome your child into a community you know can be loving and a community that has its own culture is incorrect because that implies that people who are deaf are incomplete. But if you think about it, it's our society that's incomplete. If we all knew American Sign Language here in the States, the barriers for deaf people would be different. If we prioritized creating and selling masks that allow for lip reading, things would be different. The way we exist in society changes the way we view limitations for people who don't look like us, who don't have the same things on their plate as us. And if I feel rejected by technology that was made for me, I can't ever imagine what it would feel like if it weren't. And how I would feel in response to that. And that's privilege. Um, good vibes your way. Happy Wednesday or whenever this uploads. And thanks for listening.